Hi, this is Sean, and welcome to the latest episode of If You Come This Far, where my friend Chris and I uh, get together and have interesting conversations with uh, interesting people. I'm not sure about this week. <laughs> about, 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 about interesting things. Um, and as I just said, this is a podcast we've been planning to do since uh, we talked about doing a podcast. So, Chris, uh, what are we doing today? Well, this is a this is a bit of an unusual episode. Um, like you said, we normally have guests on who talk about their lives and and their work and 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 what they're doing to make life more meaningful. Today, however, we've asked our friend and co-founder of Men Living, Todd Adams, who, by the way, was uh, our guest in episode number one. Um, tells you how important Todd is. Um, we've asked Todd to join us to discuss the teaching of Father Michael Himes. I was. Uh, I was fortunate to take a single class with Father Himes at Notre Dame in 1991 uh, and have maintained pretty much ever since then that he's the the single wisest person I've ever met. Um, I reached out to him several times in the early days of if you've come this far, because I thought he would be the perfect guest. Unfortunately, Father Himes passed away a few months ago. Um, His younger brother, Ken Himes, who is also a priest and also a professor at Boston College, Father Ken did entertain the possibility of joining us to discuss his brother and his own sort of remarkable life and and lessons, but his own retirement and other commitments made that impossible. So I do want to share this. When I wrote to to Father Ken, he, he wrote to me, he said, quote, I have received many, many messages similar to yours about the impact Michael made on people's lives, particularly students who had the good fortune to learn from him. He had a rich life and was the recipient of much acclaim and affection throughout his ministry. What more could a priest and minister ask for in in his life or in this life? Uh, unquote. So, I thought that was lovely. Um, I think we're, we're still going to be able to to uh, to to get to the lessons that that Father Himes sort of taught and preached throughout his life. So, the three of us plan to play a few clips. Todd came in this morning, uh, uh, shot out of a cannon. He's got, I got, he, I've got some clips I want to play. Shocker. Um, so <laughs> always shot, always shot out of a cannon. Um, so, so, so we may have a few more and, and we'll, we'll sort of just roll with it and riff, but, um, I have uh, seven or eight clips, um, and, uh, and we'll see how it goes. So, uh, so and first of all, so welcome Todd. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having That's welcome, me. Welcome, Todd. Uh, I was Chris. You've been talking about this. You, you know, you and I have known each other. I don't know, twenty five years. And early on in our friendship, you said you got to check out this this clip. And it's not a clip; it's a fifty minute lecture. And I know it just kind of gets you really excited because of the wisdom. So uh, it's kind of weird that here we are, whatever twenty years later after you. I don't even know how long ago that was. That here we are, kind of doing a podcast about that very lecture. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, it took us a while, didn't it? Um, but but here we are. Um, and, and and Todd refers to this last lecture. This is the. I think a lot of people will be familiar with this. It was sort of made famous. I don't know a decade ago or whatever. Uh, when actually there was a uh, there was a professor somewhere who actually gave a last the, the guy w- was actually uh, in his waning days of life and Randy Posh. There you yeah, go. Randy Posh. Yep. Um, and I, I I think that was the origin of this. People then said, so let's let's imagine that you're you're not going to be with us much longer. What would you say to the world? And so this is Father Himes's last lecture. He was at Boston College. He left Notre Dame right after I graduated around 1992 or 93 and went to Boston College and spent the rest of his career there. Um, this is this is it. 
And so I'm going to go uh, to the first clip here. Um, this is about a minute and a half. Um, and this is where he sort of opens his last lecture and, and, and talks about the concept of it and, and living a meaningful life. So here we go. This is clip number one. Well, it's a rather awe-inspiring thing to be invited to give one's last lecture. Uh, and so... Um, and I've thought about it a good deal. It does, as Dr. Johnson said, knowing that you'll be hanged in the morning wonderfully concentrates your mind. Uh, well, uh, knowing, thinking of this as the last time I have a chance to speak about what matters most um, has wonderfully concentrated my mind. I've thought long and hard about it. And in particular, in relation to this statement from Søren Kierkegaard, the great 19th century Danish philosopher of religion. Kierkegaard, in his journals, writes this. So he did not necessarily ever think of this being read by anyone else. It was in his personal journals, published long after his death. There is something quite definite I have to say, and I have it so much upon my conscience that, as I feel, I dare not die without having said it. For the moment I die and thus leave this world as I understand it, I shall in that very second, at such speed does it go, in that very same second, I shall be infinitely far away in a different place where still within the same second, frightful speed, the question will be put to me, have you uttered the definite message quite definitely? Well, that's, of course, the great question. As I come to think about a last lecture, have I uttered the great, the great message? Have I uttered the definite message quite definitely? So there you go. I wanted to start with that because I think it sort of summarizes. And Todd, you mentioned you had a clip that might also summarize um, what this is all about. But um, but but that struck me in a particular way. I'm wondering if if that uh, if that landed with you guys. Um, so what, first of all, when I hear his voice, it's just kind of a warm, I'm glad you're, we're playing the clips. I think it's important to hear his voice and how, and the way in which he speaks. And I don't know if I've ever had a teacher as good as this guy was for you, Chris, but I had a lot of these types of teachers where I went to high school, not college, but high school. And I, he tells a lot of stories of like Chaucer and like Brit lit and all that. And he's a storyteller, which is a, probably why you loved him so much as a teacher. Um, when I heard this clip, it just reminded me, he has the energy of John Keating from Dead Poets Society, Robin Williams. And I think mm -hmm. of that opening scene where they talk about uh, Carpe Diem and uh, Robin Williams brings all the kids up to the front there and uh, has them look at all the, the people that used to go through that school and have now since passed on. It's just like a big Carpe Diem, like, you know, don't die with the light still in you. And I think it's a wonderful um, way to kind of you know, this is a 40, a 52 minute lecture, and it's a great way to, you know, wake us up. Like, this is what it's about. So I, I thought it was wonderful. What, uh, what did he teach again? He taught um, religion. No, he taught a couple different theology classes and philosophy classes. It was, it was I, I was blown away. Uh, I, I, our final exam in that course was, a, was an oral exam. We just sat down with him in his office and, and met, and I had so many questions for him and, and yeah. I was always blown away by how he would quote books and, and, and also how much he, he could source. And I said to him at one point, I'm like, 
Father Himes, how much do you read? And he goes, oh, well, it's busy season. I'm reading um, about two books a week. You know, like I'm like, oh my God, just the 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 insatiable desire to learn and to think mm-hmm. was was remarkable to me. Well, and it wasn't even just prose. He would read poetry. And yeah. I, I like simple poetry. Like Shakespeare is sometimes a little too hard for me to decipher. Um, but there's something about an old dude reading poetry just kind of gets me pretty excited. Like that's when I'm old, I want to be able to read poetry and enjoy it. Because right now, if I did it, it would be out of obligation. Well, I think Chris and I admitted in our Jason conversation uh, <laughs> that we don't get it. We're not we're not smart enough to, to get poetry. At least I'm speaking for myself. Um, the other thing I have to say before we go, when I first listened to Father Himes, I bawled. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was like two years ago. And I watched him again last week and uh, bawled again. Um it's a very emotion. It's a very emotional to me in many ways, and I think that even just listening to this piece at the very beginning is um, we're all going to die. Be who you are. I mean, you know, the message most definitely to me is be me completely, most definitely. And and I agree, Todd, with about having his having his voice here as people listen to him. I hope they can. I hope the, the his presence resonates he he carries the energy i don't know if anybody else knows richard Rohr, but he is i think he's still alive but i think he has cancer he's a franciscan uh, monk and he carries a lot of the same energy that father himes does but it's funny i kind of want to like already kind of break some rules later on in the lecture he talks a little bit about um the way you know that you've lived a fulfilled life is if you um, if people are at your funeral and all these, uh oh, spoiler, I, spoiler. All right, all right, fine. If you want to go to that now, or I'll just kind of hold on to that, or Can I'll you... put a pin in it, as you like to say. <laughs> yeah, please do, please do, because I right. do want to. That's, um, I, I will say more about that clip. I do want to play that clip because I, I actually, not that I disagree with him, but I want to have a conversation about that, that topic. Great. Yeah. I have a different take. Yeah, yeah. Let's definitely we'll we'll come back to that. Um, I just want to say that 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 I, and I think that he communicates this, but like I I, w- I don't think the listener should mistake this idea of having uttered the definite message quite definitely as as saying a certain thing. I think it's about what right. you've done with your life, right? Ha, mm-hmm. ha, has your life been that definite message? Um, and I think it really is kind of the source of the of the last can question that we ask all of our guests what do you hope people will say about you at your wake you know what what definite message do you hope you will have uttered quite definitely throughout your life so um well a a recurring theme throughout the lecture is that there's a sense of openness about him i don't think he necessarily think because he's a catholic priest that he thinks that catholicism is the only way to uh live this life he has a and a curiosity about everything and he's always bringing it back to the person's experience instead of this doctrine or ideology. And I think it's, I can get on board with a guy that's teaching me how to interpret my experience through the lens of religion or absence of religion. So uh, that's why I was so attracted to this lecture. So, well, um, I think uh, we should invite Todd on more often because he's a great straight man. He's, 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 he's leading into all the points that, that, that I want to make through the, through the sharing of these clips. Um, uh, including the piece about theology. Okay, this this next clip, if you guys are okay with me moving on, sure. since we mm-hmm. have a lot mm-hmm. to, to share. Um, yeah. This is this is where he talks about 
sort of giving yourself away um, and attending to others. And I think this is sort of the lead into what his whole message about how to live life. So here we go. This is clip number two. If I can illustrate the first step, I will tell you a story. It's uh, the, the main line of action, the main element of the plot of a very great medieval German epic called Parsifal. And I won't tell you the whole story because it's very long, but the main character, the young man Parsifal, wandering away from his home, is out of the world, as it were, seeking adventure, seeking to learn, seeking to discover himself and the world around him. And one day, as it's drawing toward evening, he comes upon a castle. And he enters the castle and is immediately welcomed by all the people at the castle and becomes the honored guest at dinner that evening. And the host is a man who's dressed as a king. But he's obviously ill. He's, on a, he's lying on a cot and uh, seems to be very weak. But he's very welcoming to Parsifal. The meal goes on, wonderful meal, but at the end, servants enter carrying a cup and a spear. Those of you who are tuned in to things medieval will recognize that the grail and the spear that pierces the side of Christ have just gotten into the story. They're born into the room and the king immediately begins to suffer immense pain. And Parsifal stares in astonishment at these two objects that have been brought in and at the king, and everything vanishes, except for one servant who tells Parsifal, you have failed the test, and you must leave. And Parsifal leaves the castle and tries to come back the next day, and the castle's not there. Well, the epic poem goes on, as epic poems are wont to do, uh, the epic poem goes on for many, many years at many, many pages. And Parsifal learns a great deal in the course of the years that he spends wandering. And finally, he finds himself back one evening in front of that castle again. He doesn't know how he's made his way back to it, but there it is. And he enters and is again showed into the, into the dining hall. And once again, a meal is served, and the king is still on the cot, looking very weak. And again, the grail and the spear are brought into the hall, and the king cries out in great suffering. And this time, Parsifal speaks. And what he says is, what is the source of your pain? And at that moment, the king is healed. Because it turns out, the key, the necessary first step, is to ask the right question. Parsifal wasn't supposed to have the answer, but he had to have the right question. And the right question is, in effect, tell me your story. How did you get hurt? What causes this pain? Tell me your story. This was the this was the, the the thing that first struck me about this last lecture is this this particular story, which is I apologize for giving you a long one. Uh, I, I actually interpreted this story through a men living 
lens, as a matter of fact. Um, we talk a lot about in Men Living Meetings that we don't like to give advice. We want to hold space. We want to ask people their experience of whatever it is that's bothering them that particular day. And um, I, Sean and I, I don't even know if Sean saw the polo, but there's a man uh, who shared something with Sean and I and another man last night and something really sad happened in his life. He lost a friend to suicide yesterday. And, um, you know, I had my experience when this man left me this video message and I knew I was going to connect with him to care for him, to hold the space, to ask the questions that Father Himes is talking about. So, you know, usually when I'm talking to people, I'm in the car, I'm cleaning the kitchen. I knew this was going to require my, you know, absolute attention. And I FaceTimed him and lucky he answered. And I just wanted to know that I loved him and that I was thinking about him. And I just wanted to hold the space and ask the questions of his experience. And um, we know each other pretty well. And uh, we were looking at our phones, you know, on FaceTime. We're looking at each other through the phones. And I didn't even say anything. And we kind of just held each other's gaze for a minute. And then, you know, he started tearing up. And then he started, you know, telling me his experience of the story. And um, I just wanted to hold, give him an opportunity to feel any feelings in front of me. And he did a little bit of that, but his kids were nearby, so he couldn't really go there. But this is what, and we're, I'm sure we're going to talk about friendship, but this is what it is. Like, it. I don't want to tell anybody how to live their life. I don't want to dictate to anybody what to do. I'll share my experience and then ask you to share yours through these questions. And when I, I heard this this morning in preparation of this podcast, and that's the first thing I thought of is, um, what does it mean to be a good friend? And it means just to ask them their experience, to ask them what they're feeling, to ask them how they're dealing with crisis and tough times. And it's not always crisis and tough times. Sometimes it's joy and celebration, but um, that was, that was immediately, and it just so happened that this all happened last night. We're recording the podcast this morning, but, um, that's what I hope that we do at, in men living in life as we, as we, um, experience other human beings is, can we ask them questions about their experience? So, um, I'll stop talking. Yeah, I, I, I had two reactions to this. Um, um, one is actually a little bit different than yours as it relates to some of the work that we do in Men Living, um, because Father Himes is asking, tell me your story. And, and there are many times when we're in a meeting, people are like, well, okay, get out of story. And I know that that's a, I, I think that that's a direction that some people give. And it always makes me uncomfortable because mm -hmm. I want the story. Tell me the story. Uh, you know, and, and, and then I get to experience you fully in how you're feeling something. So give me the story. And, and I think uh, it also speaks to what we talk about in living curiously is, you know, better to, I, 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 I'm going to say, I want to live less certain about things because I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know what necessarily the truth is. So I'm going to remain curious about 
what I'm experiencing, what I'm experiencing, what's in front of me, um, and try to be open to what's being revealed in that moment. It's, I feel like, Todd, I feel like I've heard you and Kathy talk about this countless times. I feel like Manish and I have talked with you and Kathy about this countless times, but but in, in the context of parenting, this is so much, this is so true, I think, right? Like it, validating your kids' feelings, trying to empathize with them, trying to understand what they're experiencing. And I, and I love the tell me your story. And I think an even more pointed version of that is what, the one he started with. What ails you? Tell me what mm-hmm. ails you. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is really one of the best definitions of love that I've ever heard. It's like, um, it is it is signaling that you care, right? So to Sean, so Sean and I are wonderful friends and we also disagree a lot. And this is, uh, you know, just to kind of like give the listener a different perspective because Sean's like, I want to hear your story and I want to hear everybody's story too. But for me, through the lens of men living, like I think my daughters are pretty good at feeling their feelings, joy, fear, sadness, anger. They're really pretty good at it. When I'm with other men, we, I tend to, feel really safe by giving you content of my message, by telling you the story of what happened to me yesterday. But I'm not very good at sharing my feelings. So when I challenge a man saying, okay, let's slow down on the story, let's slow down on the content and tell me what's here now. Like, what are you feeling? Are you feeling sadness? Are you feeling anger? Are you feeling joy? Are you feeling it in your body? Or is it just a mind construct? And that is, I don't, I don't know if there is a right way to do it, but for me, I'm always trying to invite myself into okay, what am I feeling right now? Instead of me getting lost in my head and just want to, you know, tell people the content of the things that aren't going wrong in my life, because that's just a really safe and kind of stoic way of, of experiencing a relationship. So, yeah, I, I think that what Father Himes means here, um, I think there's a big distinction between tell me the story or a story and tell me your story, mm-hmm. because your story is those things, in, in my opinion, Todd, is those things that you're trying to, you know, um, draw out. Invite, yeah, draw out and invite someone to share. It's like yeah. it, that those are your story is the story of what ails you and how you got here yeah. and, and why you're here. Hey, thanks for listening to If You've Come This Far. This episode is brought to you by Judson & Moore, Chicago distillers of American whiskey. Their distillery and tasting room are located in the Avondale neighborhood on the west bank of the Chicago River and just south of Belmont Avenue. And you can find all of the following there. Their award-winning single malts and rye whiskeys, two delicious bourbons, fantastic cocktails, and great live music. Learn more at judsonandmore.com. Now back to the show. Okay, we're going to move on here. Um, Todd, you mentioned, I think you mentioned religion earlier. Theology is not exactly equal to religion. Um, but this is a clip about sort of Father Heim's thinking on theology. And I looked it up. Merriam-Webster de- defines theology as the study of religious faith, practice, and experience, especially the study of God and of God's relation to the world. Uh, I think it's important to point out that our group, Men Living, is not a faith-based organization, or, or, or perhaps more accurately, there, there's really no religion explicitly in the work that we do. Um, and that's kind of why I want to share this this next clip in which uh, Father Himes discusses this idea of theology and what it what it means to him. So if you guys are game, we'll go to clip three. Well, there's a 
there's a pos there are so many ways to teach theology badly um, that one scarcely knows where to begin describing them. But one enormously influential and wonderfully destructive way of teaching theology is to think that it's imparting information which somehow or other we've gotten, either God's given it to us or we've figured it out or it's in the, te the sacred text or some authoritative body like the church has told us this. And our job is to try and figure out how it can possibly be, how it fits together, and how we can hand it on to others. That's an immense mistake. Theology is not about getting information from God. Theology is about experiencing God. Theology is first and foremost a matter of examining our experience. It's not about believing all sorts of things that somebody has told us we ought to believe. It's about the exploration of, of our lives as human beings on the deepest and richest levels we can examine our lives and see what the implications of that examination are, how it leads us to a deeper knowledge of the foundation of being. I think it's unusual to hear a priest talk about theology and God in this way. And to me, it's beyond refreshing. Well, we all nailed it. We all grew up nailed Catholic. it. We all grew up Catholic, right? Didn't yep. we? Yep. And I don't remember hearing the messages that he just shared when I was growing up. I remember a lot of dogma. I remember a lot of rules. I don't remember being invited into my own experience. So I'm right there with you. Yeah, I I, I think he nails it. Uh, it also brings up for me an important point that you know I graduated from the College of the Holy Cross, which is the preeminent Jesuit. Uh, institution in the country so you know bc is a main rival notre dame where is that where is notre dame <laughs> where we, is that is it, where is that is on this the map? where you want to go <laughs> i just i'm just I, I yeah i just want to lay that i've been holding that a little bit so i just i just, I just want to get that out while we're talking about theology that's all um but i think he i think he nails it here and uh and and i'll just say for me it as um as one that for I thinking about religion as a source often of um, divisiveness mm -hmm. in the world, how he lays out this description of theology, I think is really powerful. I'm not even sure, you know, when the three of us were growing up, I'm not even sure if it would have been okay for a priest to describe the church as an authoritative institution. Right. No, it was the institution. Like, yeah. yeah. I don't remember. I just remember being really afraid of a lot of different things. I remember, okay, Jesus loves me. Great. Uh, but if you don't do what he says and you're going to hell, Oh, that doesn't sound like a really, <laughs> does he really love me? <laughs> well, in that, in that sense, Father Himes is kind of authoritarian in air quotes kind mm -hmm. of, right. Mm -hmm. Is that what you're saying, Chris? I, I, I think, um, I think that this is among the more progressive takes on religion at all, mm -hmm. especially out of the Catholic Church that I've ever heard, right? Yeah. Like the the fact that it's almost like he's trying to discount the the idea of religion and institution 
and and bring it back to living and experiencing life and loving um which which you know i said that we're not a faith-based organization i would say i'm not a religious person but i'm a deeply faithful person mm-hmm. you know I, I believe um that we're here for a reason that this couldn't be all just chance um and that um while i'm here i i probably am meant to do something more than just you know whatever drink beer and watch football mm-hmm. you know there's another clip here that 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 speaks to this a little bit. This is a much shorter clip, but I want to. I think it 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 sort of um, is a nice follow up to to that last clip. Plato famously maintains that Socrates said that the unreflective life is not worth living. William James remarked that yes, that was perfectly true, but it was also true that the unlived life wasn't worth reflecting on. That one has to, one has to live life. One has to enter in to to commitments and relationships with others in order to have anything worth reflecting on. It's not a matter of locking ourselves in some ivory tower, even very comfortable ivory towers like the BC campus. It's not a matter of locking ourselves in an ivory tower and thinking our way toward reality. It's about being a part of reality, about living. It's about entering into experience. It's about seeking out new experiences. It's about being a little bit daring with your life. Yeah, um, what, I just go to vulnerability. Um, you know, the li- living life is not worth, uh, you know, an unlived life is not worth reflecting on. For me, I sometimes find myself uh, trying to be safe and do the unrisky thing. And uh, sometimes I fight that urge and I actually do something daring and risky. But for me, that's what it is, is I think it's so easy for us to just be scared and like, you know, whether it's about our careers, whether it's about really being vulnerable with your life partner, um, it's we sometimes think that it's safer to not go there, to not be vulnerable, to not like drop your shield and open up your heart. when in fact, that's what he's talking about, like get really raw and vulnerable and take risks. And it's a wonderful message that I need to continue to hear to help me do those risky things. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I immediately think about um, how often we're structured and, ha- and how we have to live our lives. I mean, there's a script that says, okay, here's how it goes. and um, and think about people that are breaking the scripts. Kevin Rogers' sons, for example. Kevin Rogers is a community member of Men Living, and both his sons are are pursuing a life direction that I think is not um, necessarily how it goes. You know, you go to you go to you finish high school, you go to college, you get a you get a job in an office somewhere, and that's what you do. Um, and they're both you know brilliant, engaging. Um, living, you know, living their lives in special ways. I, I, I will say that it also makes me think about, you know, uh, when I think about I can't do something or I should do something. I mean, those words are really disempowering, right? I mean, I, I, I can't do that. There's no way I can do that because I got to do this or I got to do that or I should be doing this or I should be doing that. And I can't pursue something that 
that that is more fulfilling in my life. One one spin. We got one spin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And are you getting all you want from it? Well, it's funny. It might be an interesting discussion because I was with, so one of the kind of risky things that uh, his kids did, Ben and Charlie both decided to drop out of school. Um, yep. uh, one, I think permanently college and one for a short, for, for a, a year. And I was, I was talking to Kevin during that time. He's like, God, it just scares me because it's once you drop out, you it's hard to get back in. And he trusted his kids. And that doesn't mean that every, every, if you're a parent out there and you're listening to this, like, oh, just let your kids drop out of school. That's not what I'm saying. All these different things had to happen to get, you know, the Rogers family to this point where they have to make a decision whether or not Kevin's going to bless his kids for taking an unorthodox pivot in his college, in their college career, or if they're going to like be very authoritarian and they decided to trust their kids. Um, and I don't think it was easy on Kevin or his wife, Carolyn to do that, but they trusted them. And I just think it's a, it's, it's so easy for us to be like, just take risks. But the minute your kid wants to take a risk, you're like, no, 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 not that risk. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Um, you know, he goes on to sit, he goes on to talk about, you know, um, doing the things in life that you maybe thought you didn't have in you. And he talks mm-hmm. about commitments and here we are talking about parenting. Um, this is about two and a half minutes. I got to play this clip because it is mm-hmm. about that. Um, and, uh, and here we go. It's an extraordinary thing to discover that you can give yourself to another. If I may tell you yet another story. This one, we started with the Middle Ages in Germany, and then we went to 1763. This time we go to 1947. Um, A very good year. It was the year I was born. (laughs) Um, My mother always told this story. Uh, These were the days when uh, pregnant mothers, as they came, came time to give birth, frequently were uh, anesthetized. That uh, natural childbirth was a kind of odd idea in that generation. And so my mother remembers being at the hospital on Mother's Day of all days of the year. I was a Mother's Day present. (laughs) Cheaper than candy. and lasts longer than flowers. Uh, And Mother Rebecca's being at the hospital and it being time that they thought they should bring her to the delivery room from the waiting room. And, uh, And she was anesthetized. And when she woke up, it was Monday morning. And she was lying in bed, looking out the window of her room and she realized the baby had, had come. The baby was delivered. She didn't know anything about it. She didn't know whether it was a boy or a girl. She didn't know whether the delivery had been a safe one or not. She didn't know whether the baby was alive. Until they arrived to tell her that it was a boy and everything was fine. But she says, as she laid in the bed that morning, waiting to hear what had happened, she, she often described it as the single most important religious moment in her life. Because she said 
she had this immense sense of responsibility that somewhere in that hospital, somewhere in the world, there was now a life, and as she said, she would never again be able to make a decision without taking that other life into account. That there was, it was, that what had happened was the taking on of a solemn but joyful obligation. <laughs> um, we're all parents. <laughs> you know, he talks later about the commitments that, and the, the the obligations that people may take on in life. What you know, marriage is an important one, but man, is there one as as audacious as as bringing another life into the into the world? Well, and I'm guessing that my wife Kathy, when she birthed our three daughters, felt very similarly to what Father Heim's mom felt. And I can't speak for anybody else's experience. And yes, I felt a sense of responsibility and obligation that I'm going to be these three girls' fathers. Uh, I'm going to be these these three girls' father. But I don't, I, I'm just speaking from my own experience. I don't feel like it went as deep for me as it went with Kathy. Maybe that's just because Kathy is a, a nurturer, a, a warrior, um, just really deeply compassionate about her role as a mom. And so am I, by the way, but I've also been raised and conditioned in a way that my most important job as a father is to put food on the table. And I think Kathy's most important job is to take care of everything else. And that's not the way it is in our family, but it's, it, that's, that is the world that I grew up in. And um, I just feel like for me and my marriage, there is a sense of imbalance because Kathy really did and does um, feel really super responsible. And I'm just making sure that we have a house over a roof over our head and food on the table. So that's, that's what came to me when I heard that story. It's funny though, because we were just talking about our friend, Kevin Rogers and his two boys are, are, are adults now and he hasn't stopped worrying about them. Right. Like the, 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 the love that, that we experience for our, our children um, is kind of unlike any other, don't you think? Yeah, if you're doing it right, I think. Yeah, loves loves an interesting word, and so I'm I'm curious about if you love, uh, you know, the love I have for my wife, love I have for my kids, the love I have for you guys, the love I have for you know, person that I meet on the street has different degrees, right? So that takes me back to two different conversations that I've had in the past. One is um, Dave Dunn, who was a guest who wrote a book about supporting a loved one with 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 anorexia. And uh, the quote I took away from the book, above all else, was like, "How do we show up? We we, we, we uh, or how do we show our love? We show up and we kiss them goodnight. It's just it's just that act of being available, of of giving your attention to to somebody. And and the other story is at the last men living retreat or, or weekend that I went to, which was last January, I snuck out for a bit to, to watch the streaming funeral for my friend, Brian's father. And in his eulogy, he talked about how his dad, who was a very, very successful lawyer, um, never didn't have time for his two sons. So if he was going through all his papers and reading all the stuff, remember this is in the seventies. Um, so there were no computers, but, um, 
he was always willing to put those down and give his sons the attention that they needed at the time. So uh, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Um, I have three more clips, Todd, and I know you have a couple that we, there might be some overlap. So um, no, I wouldn't worry about mine. Just do your thing. Okay. So um, this is uh, a couple years ago. I asked my older daughter, Anna, to watch this last lecture, and then we went out to dinner um, to discuss it. And this was this was her big takeaway. And this is a little bit of a shift here, but but um, Todd, you mentioned this one early on. So let's let's play this clip. This is about two minutes long. I've come to think over the course of years that if there is one single virtue that I would love to believe that I had. If there's one single virtue which I think is crucial in other people's lives, it's integrity. But by integrity, I don't mean simply honesty. Honesty is wonderful. I'm all in favor of honesty. If anybody asks you, what did Himes say about honesty in his last lecture? He came out in favor of it. But I don't mean honesty when I talk about integrity. I mean the word very literally. It's the quality of being an integer, a whole number. It's the quality of being one whole thing. I'll give you my favorite, perhaps odd, image for this. It's like, it's what happens at your wake. When all of your, when your spouse talks to your pastor, who talks to your business partner, who speaks to your next door neighbor, who talks to your in-law, who speaks to your children, who talks to your doctor, who speaks to your attorney, that they all know that they met the same person. That you weren't a series of roles that were played You were in a series of masks that you wore in different relationships that they can all say, yeah, that was the one I knew too. That they all knew you because you were one and the same. You had integrity. Todd, is that the clip you were referring to early on? Yeah, that's it's an interesting one and one I still struggle with because I do carry a different energy when I'm working and I carry a different energy when I'm with my buddies and I carry a different energy when I'm with my kids and I carry a different energy when I'm with my wife. And I'm like, am I being disingenuous by being a little too serious at work, maybe being a little too silly with my buddies? And there's no two here, but I really... Uh, I used to think like, yeah, I just want to be the exact same version of myself, regardless of the situation I'm in. And I don't think that that's realistic. I think that we as human beings have all these different versions of ourselves. And my job is to welcome and invite all of them into whatever space I happen to be entering in that moment. I think it's it sounds like a great idea what Father Himes is saying, but I just not... I. I don't feel like that would be in my best service. Now, I do think that at my funeral, people be like, oh, he was a nice guy. He was kind. He was compassionate. Like there will be like dots that connect. But I think that my college buddies will be like, oh, remember how Todd was an idiot here? And then, oh, my kids will be like, oh, remember when dad did this for us? 
Like there's, there's, I, I feel like they would be describing different versions of me. And I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing. And I just want to hear what you guys have to say. I, I think it fits ni- nicely with um, having uttered the definite message most definitely, which is um, all those people, <clears throat> I, I would I, I would hope that all those people at my wake are going to say, okay, yeah, he brought different energy to different things, but at his core, I mean, the, the definite message um, was uttered and understood by everyone that all that other stuff, my true, my true nature was revealed um, to all of them and all that I did. And so I, I, I hear you about, you know, the, you know, in different scenarios, you may have different energy, but have you uttered the, you know, the definite message about who you are most definitely. And I think that's, that's that whole, that integer um, that resonates with everyone that would be there for me. Yeah, I agree a thousand percent, Sean. I, I think um, the, the term you use true nature is really what he's getting at by that being the person that I knew because we um, it, it's appropriate to, to not be goofy in certain situations or to be more serious than others. Um, it's appropriate that we grow and that our behavior changes over the course of life. I mean, I also think it's possible that people could say about any of us when we were in college and we, we, we were maybe less serious and partied more or whatever, that our true nature was still apparent, right? It, it was the nature of, 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 of Sean actually still caring. He may have shown it a different way, but it was clear that he cared about his friends or his family or whatever. So I think it's a little bit analogous to the, the, to the difference between your story and a story or the story, right? Uh, It's Mm -hmm. not about how you behave or how you show up. It's about true nature. I also feel like this is like a lot of other qualities that we discuss in our friendships and and in mid living. It's like integrity is not this binary state. It's not like you either have integrity or you don't like we're Mm -hmm. all on this path of continuous improvement and we're trying to be consistently our true nature. Right. Um, And, and we're, we're not always going to succeed at that. Um, But over the course of this massive data set that will hopefully be more massive as we live longer, you know, longer lives, whatever it's going to be 80 years that, yeah, there, he behaved differently in different situations, but that was, that was, it was the same guy. It was the same Mm -hmm. guy Mm -hmm. that that I knew. Well, and I like how he talks about, uh, you know, he defines integer, which means integrity comes from integer. Integer means whole to be whole. And I say this when I talk to parents a lot is, you know, I used to be like, what do you want for your kids? And the parents would always say, oh, I just want them to be happy. And then I'm like, actually, happiness is one of the emotions, but there's a lot of other versions of, or they'll say, I I want them to be successful. I'm like, what I want for my kids is to be whole. And what whole means is all parts of themselves, the messier, the uglier, the nastier, the loving, the beautiful. But what happens is when our kids are making our lives more difficult, I don't want them to be whole. I want them to fall into line and do what I want them to do. And if they had a bad day at school and they come screaming at me about what their friend did and I'm not giving them the space to be not okay or to be angry or afraid, it's really difficult for me as a parent to hold the space for that. Like, oh, wow, this kid's just sad or this kid's just mad. 
And I want to invite that wholeness. And so on my good days, I can do that. And on my bad, bad days, I'm like, no, you're messing up my day. Can you just smile and and do your homework so I don't have to deal with this? <laughs> yeah, just turn that C into a B. Yeah, right. We'll, we're all good. Um, I have, uh, Sean, you have an extra five to seven minutes. Oh, no, I'm good. Yeah. Okay. I'm good. Okay. I've got two more clips. One is, is a short one. I referenced this clip in a recent episode of our podcast. Um and to me, it speaks to how I think I want to be uh, remembered a little bit. And this is at the very end of his last lecture. I've always thought that the sim- single most elegant farewell that I know of is Chaucer's at the end of the Canterbury Tales. And I'll paraphrase it to close what I'm, to bring to a close what I'm saying to you this evening. Chaucer says, if I have done any of you any good, I ask you to give thanks to God. And if I have done any of you any harm, I ask you to credit it to my lack of ability and not my lack of will for I would gladly have done better if I could. Well, I would gladly have done better if I could, but it was the best I had in me. To me, that's everything. Yeah, so, yeah, so I'm tearing up listening to this. It's, I mean, because he kind of is. Yeah, and we talk a lot about um, intention. Um, in in living life and living fully and taking responsibility for who we are and and how we show up. Um, you know, this just speaks to me. Just you know, the intention. My intentions are good. Um, and still, we fuck it up. You know, um. But that's okay, right? Like the 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 point. I think is, that's what he's saying. Yeah, I mean, the point is to right? try, is to right. try and to take chances and to be daring, as he said earlier, and to give it all we got and and to acknowledge and accept the fact that we're going to make mistakes. So, but there's one warning here for me, and I love Father Himes, and I can just you know absorb every word he says. Uh, but for me, I used to hide behind intention, um, and. I also think about the impact of my actions, of my words. And I think that sometimes I could get lazy by saying, you know what, daughter of mine, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. You know what, wife of mine, I didn't mean to do that. And I discredit their experience of the way I show up. So at the risk of kind of like throwing a wet towel on Father Heim's last words, I think impact is part of the equation in how I like to connect and relate to other people. Well, I, I, I think that, that what he's doing, he doesn't mention the word grace, but I think that that's the, the point of the story. He's asking for, for grace, right? And, and Todd, I, we talk about this a lot in the work that I do in my professional life around like our diversity, equity, and inclusion work. It, it is incredibly important to remember that intention is, is, is maybe a lesser part of the equation that impact is, 
is the thing we need to be aware of. Um, but if we go through life and we're afraid that the impact we have might be negative and therefore we don't live life, then we will not have lived the, the, as full a life as we, as we hope to, right? The point is to take those good intentions um, and take risks and realize we may make mistakes, um, but to keep on trying. Well, and to bring it back, you know, his whole message is if you want something, give it away. So if if we want grace from others and how they experience us, the only way to do that is for us to give it to other people. For sure. Yeah, but I, I and again, I don't want to dismiss in, in intention, though. I mean, you know, if if your intention is is evil, okay, your intention is evil. But if if, if my intention is not is not evil, my intention is good, and that doesn't work for someone. And I think that's, that's how I'm interpreting his last words. If that didn't work for you, I'm very sorry, but that's not what I was trying to do. And so I cannot, I cannot determine how, what I do is going to land for you. I can't, I can't do that. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it brings me back to a famous, uh, Ricky Gervais, tweet where he said, um, just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but 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 um, I think it also goes back to this idea of what people will say about us that are awake or, or whether or not they all knew the same person. Like none of, no, no human has ever lived where people, you know, were, were having a conversation at that person's wake and said, everything that guy ever did or everything that woman ever did had a positive impact. Mm -hmm. Everyone, everyone who has ever lived, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, a long life um, will have made mistakes. And I think that the, the integrity piece is like that guy made a lot of mistakes, mm -hmm. but he, he, he never meant to hurt anybody. Right. Like he always wanted to, to, to have a positive impact, even though he didn't always do that. Well, and I guess to Sean's point is I, <clears throat> my learning of intention versus impact has kind of gone back and forth. Cause I used to hide behind intention. Then I'm like, my intention doesn't matter at all. It's all about how I'm impacting others and it's not either one for me. It's it's a both and, and that's the work. We we get get curious, like oh, I just harmed somebody I love. I wasn't trying to, but could I have done that a little bit better? Will I try better next time and understand the impact? Um, and but not to give the impact too much gravity either. And that's the that's the work. That's what it means to be introspective, to be curious. I ag agreed. Um... But if it stops me from uttering the most definite message, most definitely, because I'm I, I'm afraid to be who I am, um, af afraid to be intentional in the world and what I'm trying to give myself to others, I, I, then then I might not be who I'm going to completely be because I'm afraid is well, I, how's this going to land with you? Um, well, that's the vulnerability, and, right? We got to take a risk. We got to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and nobody has the ability to always have a positive impact, right? Um, it's it's the effort that that I want, I would like to be remembered as putting forward. Um, I have one last clip. It's from a different lecture. So you guys have not heard this one. And it's a lovely story. And it's a little bit long. So bear with me and then we'll wrap up. And this goes back to sort of giving. I said at the beginning of my comments this evening that I am convinced that even more important than being loved is loving. I'm convinced of that for a number of reasons, but 
One is, well, I can illustrate it by a story that has come to mean an immense amount to me. Uh, and I, I, I share it with you this evening. Um, my mother, my father died a number of years ago, and my mother, uh, after living alone for years, we decided that she shouldn't be alone any longer, and so she decided to come and live with me, which I was absolutely delighted by. And we had all, we had about 12 great years here together in Boston because mother was an avid, always had been with my father, uh, an avid theater goer and concert goer. And uh, she, uh, so we went regularly to the, the Boston Symphony and to theater here in Boston and she'd show up at lectures here and at other universities because she just was interested in all sorts of things. And finally, mother began to, uh, to, show the signs, the unmistakable signs of dementia, probably Alzheimer's caused, and eventually came to the point where we couldn't leave her alone for a moment, she'd wander off. And so um, she, she went into a, a nursing home, and for the next seven years, I went every night to that nursing home and fed her because they found it hard to get her to eat unless it was me feeding her, and, uh, and then held her hand and just talked about anything that popped into my head uh, until mother dozed off for the evening, and then I would head out. And about a year before she died, she passed away a year ago last January, um, Mother said, I, she was having a particularly bad evening. She seemed really very distracted. She didn't know, she wasn't recognizing anybody. And, and I said to her, now, dear, do you know who I am? Do you remember who I am, love? And she really scrutinized me. And then she said, I'm sorry, I don't know that I could remember your name but I do know that you're someone I loved very much. Well, I've always said to Ken that mother was the best theologian in the family, uh, that the two of us were just amateurs compared to her, because she got it exactly right. The most, you may forget everything else. Everything else in your life may disappear. You may forget even who loved you and how they loved you but you never totally forget having loved someone else. Isn't that beautiful? Mm. I, mean, he, he, I mean, the whole discussion about giving it away, right? Give yourself away uh, that he talks about in the lecture. Um, I mean, that's, that's the utmost you can do from a, love, from a love perspective, right? Is give yourself away to another. Yeah, and it kind of as we start to close, I think it's a valuable exercise that very few people do, including me. I've never written my last lecture, but there's a part of me that wants to like find a time to maybe do that with other people that may be interested because I think it's just a wonderful perspective, uh, a way to awaken my perspective. And I've never done anything like this. And it would be interesting to see what would even come out. So will you be referencing Chaucer? <laughs> I actually love Chaucer. He was much easier to understand than you Chaucer. are full of shit. You love Chaucer. <laughs> Who are you shitting? Did he play for the White Sox? I don't think so. 
Um, yeah, again, that last lecture, really, the, we didn't play clips that ref reference this, but his, it, the, most of the point of that last lecture was that to have anything, you have to give it away. Mm -hmm. And to have love, you have to give it away. And that's why I think he comes back in this separate lecture where he talks about how um, loving uh, is more important than being loved. So, Well, and for me, I wrote this down in preparation of today. It, and for some reason, I thought of money. Money is such an easy energy for us to understand. And But his, his quote wasn't in reference to money. It was just about anything. If you hold on to it, you won't have it. But if you give it away, you will never run out of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, um, I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I do. I, I, mm. I, there were it wasn't that long ago when that last lecture YouTube video had like four thousand hits, and it's now you know it don't still only has like sixty five thousand. But um, I think I'm responsible for at least a few thousand of those, <laughs> um, whether it was me watching or, or or people like you guys who I who I turned on to it. So so for the listener, if they want to, I'm sure it'll be in the show notes, right? Yeah. Yes, it will. Yep. Yeah, we encourage you to li to to listen to the whole to watch the whole thing because it's really it's really and cool. if you haven't listened to the archives of this podcast, um, I just want to invite everybody. Chris and Sean do a wonderful job, and they have some really cool guests, um, present company included. <laughs> but, uh, no, you guys are you guys are. I can't believe it. you just did that. He did. He, he did, did. Right? shamelessly. Thank shamelessly. You. Right. Right. He kind of got in a plug for us and a plug for himself at the same for time. Sure. It's hey, beautiful. Man, if you want to, you got to shine. Got to shine. Yeah, I know. Well, you listen. So much integrity. I, <laughs> I can't thank you both enough, Sean and Todd, for, for spending this time with me to, to reflect on the teachings of, of a man who I think was a really great man and someone who was yeah. really influential in my life, despite only taking a single one semester class with him when I was 21 years old, which is freaking forever ago but yeah. um but uh i think if i ever did give a last lecture i would probably have to borrow a lot from this dude yeah, no doubt. very cool our pleasure this is chris thanks again for joining us on this episode of if you've come this far and this is sean remember to check us out at menliving.org